I've been teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of a sporadic series. And by that I mean uh, um, we've had a lot of guest ministries in, and so you may have missed earlier portions of it. If you have, I encourage you to go to our website. You can listen to all of the earlier ones online. And our goal for <clears throat> the Sermon on the Mount or my uh, intention for this series is just to let the text, the Scripture, kind of guide the discussion rather than doing a topical series, which is our normal way to do series in which we have a topic and then find verses. So we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount kind of verse by verse, and we finally finished the introduction. <laughs> I think it's over a month. And are actually this week getting to the, the text of the sermon, which begins with the Beatitudes. Uh, it's a portion, uh, the opening uh, segment. I'm just going to read it to begin with from the New King James. <clears throat> it goes like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Did I miss a verse? I guess not. No, that's it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And uh, uh, Jesus starts His teaching. You know, it's a famous uh, section of Scripture. Uh, probably one of the more well-known excerpts from, from Jesus' teaching. And because it's, it's, it's actually easy to remember. Gosh, probably because Jesus intended it to be that way. In fact, I believe that... Uh, he did intend this, this, uh, the Beatitudes, this portion of, uh, of what we call Scripture, his, his, his talk was something that could be learned and memorized. Remember, many of the people in his day were illiterate. They didn't have copies of Scripture that they personally owned. And, and people were taught by memorization. And so he sums up the list of attributes that describe a blessed life in a, in a very terse or compact uh, way so that it could be easily remembered. Um, uh, the rest of the sermon, I feel, elaborates on this lifestyle. All right? So this introduction, and, and, and Jesus is, uh, you know, remember what we talked about, this is His inaugural address. He's introducing Himself and His ministry uh, to the world he starts out, this is what life, this is what a life that's blessed looks like, and describes this in, in a package. And as we dig into the Sermon on the Mount over the next, course of the next several months, or you re can read ahead, it's okay, you can read ahead, you'll see that he gets into a lot of nitty gritty, some really, you know, really nitty gritty stuff. Um, and that's important. I think all of that nitty-gritty is the working out of this blessed lifestyle. This is the summary that the rest of it 
uh, elaborates on. And the individual parts, each beatitude, uh, is very important. And I could probably take a whole, a whole Sunday or easily or a whole month on each one. But I think that what's important is that Jesus communicates this intentionally as a whole. All right? The list of beatitudes is, a, is kind of like a package. It's not multiple choice. All right? uh, it's not like a list of spiritual gifts where you may have one or two, but you know that persecution one, will, that's, you know, I'm not called to that one. It, it's a list of the whole. And, and that's one of the main points I want you to see from the, our talk this morning is that the Beatitudes is a description of the whole. And I just grabbed a fruit that I happen to actually like. I don't know, do you guys like these things called clementines? Aren't they amazing? They have this, when we go to Japan, there's another thing called a, uh, what are they called? It's a similar kind of fruit. It's different than a clementine. They're even better. Hikan. Do you have mikans in China? Oh, there's mandarins, yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> so <clears throat> I just got this because it's easy to tear apart. You know, there's different parts. There's this little green part. Oops. How many eat that? And nobody eats that. <laughs> and then there's the skin, right? That's an important part, right? If it wasn't for the skin, you know, they would all they ever unpeel one and forget about it and come back the next day. It's, it's not as nice. It's all dried up. And then everyone's favorite part, the connective tissue. <laughs> is this a clementine? Is that part of a clementine? Yeah, it's an important part. But Jesus, the, the list of Beatitudes is the whole package. Does that make sense? So it's important to understand all of them, but I really want us to understand that this list is a list of what it means to live as a disciple. And that was Jesus' point. And I think it, intentionally it's meant to be taken as uh, and understood in whole, uh, specifically. Um, now, there's four ways that you can understand the, this list of things, the Beatitudes. I'm going to kind of go through all four. They're not, you know, one's right and another one's wrong. <coughs> Actually, all four of them apply. And one is that the Beatitudes really is a list of ethics or a code of behavior, a standard of conduct for believers. And as I've talked about the Sermon on the Mount earlier, he's addressing the disciples. Now, there are uh, non-disciples. They're in the midst of a crowd, but his talk is addressed to those who have chosen to follow him. And it's important to understand that this is Jesus elaborating on or describing the lifestyle of those who follow Christ. And although these, uh, these ethics, if you will, or uh, these uh, attributes of a person are admirable for people to, to live that are not Christian, it's good to live at many... And, and most of the time, people quote these verses like, these, this is just the right way to live. These are good, good ideas. And, uh, Jesus was a good teacher. Uh, but if you look at it closely... It's, it goes much further than that. In fact, I believe that, especially when taken as a whole, the only way you could live this way is if you have a living relationship with God and you're empowered by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It is a supernatural lifestyle. <clears throat> this is not just a way to get along with society. Okay? 
This is a revolutionary way to live. A way that is transformative. Uh, And the only way you can really live this way is through the power that comes through a real relationship with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to understand the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes as a call to discipleship, a call to living like Christ. Um, You know, uh, uh, the idea that it's it's heavenly ethics and they're above the expectations of worldliness. And so Christ is explaining (coughs) the culture of heaven because we are to be citizens of heaven. You know, Paul uses that term later in the New Testament that we're citizens of heaven. But we're living here. We're stationed on earth. But we're to live uh, um, in the culture of heaven uh, and the culture of being in His kingdom. Did I skip something? I'm getting used to this remote. We just got it implemented. There we go. All right, second thing is that they contrast the kingdom values, what those values that are eternal, with worldly values. And if, again, if you, if you read the, uh, and if you listen to the uh, Beatitudes, it's really a clash with worldly values. Um, kingdom values are interested in eternal issues. Worldly values are interested in things that are temporary. Uh, now, the world <coughs> or is very keen on saying that people who live like this are nice. <laughs> you know, they, they like the, this. Uh, they, we, when we're thinking worldly, it's like, this is a, these are nice people. But you'd never define this list as this is what success looks like. Right. You know? But Jesus is saying this is what success looks yeah. like. Yeah. He's challenging that. You know, the world defines success a different way. I read just uh, uh, a few days ago <clears throat> this article about the world's best yachts. You know what a yachts is? Anyone know what a yacht, yachtsy? Yacht? A big boat? Yeah. All right? <laughs> and like the millionaires, you know, they, they, not the millionaires. The millionaires don't qualify for yachts. You have to be a billionaire. Okay? Uh, but if you're a billionaire, then, then you show off, you know, if you got all that money, you might as well have a nice boat to go with it. Um, and so, like, some of the yachts are so big, they have yachts that, like, are in them. One has a submarine, you know. Yeah, it's just James Bond. I mean, <laughs> you know, and what, what, an interesting thing is, uh, the article, I think, was actually uh, simulated that, that um, Steve Jobs, the owner of Apple, had passed away. His yacht was just finished. Yeah, and they were talking about how amazing it was, and part of the hull is glass, and that was quite a. You know, it is beautiful. It, it looks like an Apple store. It, it does. I saw a picture of it, and it was designed by the guy who designed the Apple store. And they were saying it's really great. They said, but it, it, it probably won't ever take it out into the ocean because the way it's designed, it looks really good, but it's not built to withstand the waves. <coughs> so it's pretty but useless. Kind of like Apple products. Well, anyway. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. A little, little geek humor there. All right. <laughs> so, but Steve's not enjoying that yacht, is he? Steve's not enjoying that yacht, is he? Because he passed away. The things that God says define success are things that last eternally. Things that, hey, 
I'm going to pass away, but my, my rewards I'm going to enjoy eternally. And so they go above and beyond. They're heavenly. Um, uh, the world evaluates life only sees what's beneficial in the present. And maybe not immediately, but within this lifetime. Kingdom living is about aligning with God for an eternal reward. So these things, these attributes align our lives with God, with His kingdom, with His values, uh, with uh, His, then eventually His reward. Um, they contrast, the third way, <clears throat> there's a contrast between the superficial faith of the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious structure that was in place in Jesus' day, with the genuine faith that Christ calls us to live. And so there's a real contrast. In, and um, just uh, like today, you know, people don't like religion. And Jesus' words set a stark contrast to uh, religion as normal when he talks about blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the mournful. Uh, that's what he's calling his followers into as opposed to uh, religion as usual. People he was talking to, was very, they were very familiar with religion. It was a very religious society, uh, especially in, in Israel, uh, that religion was everywhere. And, they, and he was addressing people that were not satisfied, or maybe that were, you know, they were attending, they may have been participants, but he's calling them into something that's more. Um, and you have to also understand that he's contrasting his kingdom with both the non-religious world as well as the ritualistic, outwardly religious lifestyle of Pharisees. He's got both people in mind when he's talking about this. So many of the people that came to listen to Jesus were you know, prostitutes, were people that did not go to the synagogue every Sabbath. They had rejected that or they didn't feel qualified or whatever. Plus, in that mix were all of the faithful people that were part of the Mosaic tradition. And he's uh, speaking something that's new and fresh and above and beyond both of those, calling them into a lifestyle that's above. And, you know, that's just like it is today. What Jesus was ministering, the culture in one sense doesn't really change. Because there are people today that are involved in just religion as usual. And there are many people that are, uh, have given up on religion or they don't care about it, they just think it's a, a, a facade. And that's the same group of people that we're called to minister to. Amen? That we're to be contrasting, we're to stand out as contrast to religious, outwardly religious, ritualistic type of faith, but also contrast to those who live without uh, values, without ethics, without morals, in a secularized way, and we're to shine. And, and that's, the, that's the intention of Jesus' um, explanation or description of the lifestyle of those who are blessed. They also show how the Old Testament expectations were to be fulfilled in the new kingdom. Again, remember, Matthew especially is a bridge between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and the introduction of Christ as Messiah. And so uh, you find a connection here. Jesus did not come to replace the Old Covenant. <laughs> All right? None of it. He doesn't replace any of it. Not one jot or tittle. Whatever a tittle is, I don't know. <laughs> but he's not replacing. He's coming to fulfill, which means bring to the completion, to, 
to fulfill everything that was spoken of. It's Him. He fulfills it. He brings it to the fullness. And, and, and it's the stage in which He stands on. It was built to, to hold Him and, and to uh, present Him. And so He comes to fulfill. And the Beatitudes have close parallels throughout all the Old Testament. You can find different places where it says the same thing. But Jesus pulls them all together into one integrated Christian character. I like that. It's an integrated Christian, Christ-like character. And so living um, in the kingdom, living in discipleship, living as a disciple of Jesus. Jesus is describing what it means to live in His kingdom. And He's the King. Living as a Christ follower is living integrated. It's not just being (coughs) a really good peel. All right? As good as appeal may be. It's not being just, you know, some people are just connective tissue. This is good, but they don't look too pretty. That doesn't look appetizing, does it? It looks like the thing in the back of your throat. (coughs) Some things, some things taste really good. That's great. It's my breakfast after the donut. (laughs) So a life that's integrated, a life that's that's whole, and then a better illustration would be, uh, you know, a tree that is producing fruit, because we're all put together in the right order. All of the parts are good, and they're all put together in the right order. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't remember every sermon I hear, uh, even the ones I preach. <laughs> and and so if I remember something from a long time ago. Uh, it makes a big impact on me. And, and literally, I heard someone teach on the Beatitudes about 30 years ago. And I, I remember, every time I read the Beatitudes, I remember, oh yeah. Or every time I hear the word blessed, I remember how it was described by this one minister who just read it out of the Amplified. And so I'm going to return the favor by reading the, the uh, Beatitudes from the Amplified. And for those of you who don't know... <coughs> The basic idea of the Amplified Translation is it takes words that don't easily translate into English words and describe them instead of picking well, one word that the translator think would be the best word. They basically put all of the words, uh, that the English words, that that Greek or Hebrew word uh, kind of encapsulates. And the word blessed is one that they had a really hard time. And in our day... Blessed basically is a meaningless word. You know, I hope you're blessed by that. You know, what does that mean? You know, sounds religious to me. And so let's listen to what the Amplified people, the scholars say the word blessed means as I read this. You can close your eyes, you can follow along, whatever you want. Right? <clears throat> blessed. He opened up his mouth and said to the, taught them saying, blessed, happy, to be envied, and spiritually prosperous with life joy and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward conditions, are the poor in spirit, the humble, who rate themselves insignificant, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed and enviable, happy with the happiness produced by the experience of God's favor and especially conditioned by the revelation of His matchless grace are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed, happy, blithesome, joyous, 
spiritually prosperous with life joy and satisfaction and God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward conditions, are the meek, the mild, patient, long-suffering, for they shall inherit the earth. Click. Blessed and fortunate and happy and spiritually prosperous in that state in which the born-again child of God enjoys His favor and salvation are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, uprightness and right standing with God, for they shall be completely satisfied, blessed, happy to be envied, and spiritually prosperous with life joy and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward conditions, are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed! Let's read it together. Happy, enviably fortunate, and spiritually prosperous, possessing the happiness produced by the experience of God's favor, and especially conditioned by the revelation of His grace, regardless of their outward conditions, are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Are you getting an idea of what this blessed life is supposed to be like? I'll continue on. It says, blessed, enjoying enviably happy, enjoying enviably enviable happiness, spiritually prosperous, with life joy. What is this life joy stuff? Where do you buy that? Come on. And satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward conditions, are the makers and maintainers of peace, for they shall be called sons of God, blessed and happy and enviably fortunate and spiritually prosperous in the state in which a born-again child of God enjoys and finds satisfaction in God's favor and salvation regardless of his or her outward conditions are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for being and doing right, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, happy, to be envied, spiritually prosperous, with life joy and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation regardless of your outward conditions are you when people revile you and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely on my account, be glad and supremely joyful, for your reward in heaven is great, strong, and intense. For in the same way, people persecuted the prophets who were before you. Wow, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? You just meditate on that. I skipped the first one in my notes, but the first one is, blessed are the... uh, uh, um, uh, Go back. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, blessed are, the, are those who mourn. Um, a big part of the Beatitudes that Jesus is communicating, and after reading it from the Amplified and getting the bigger picture the, uh, or a better, hopefully, um, feeling of what is really meant by those words, I want you to, to understand that Jesus was teaching them as attributes of of, of discipleship, okay. And again, so the first point I wanted to emphasize is that they were they're, they're to be considered as a whole. That this is they're all together, and we're we're, we're to we're to aspire and and to live with like and have all of these attributes. The second mo- main point is that they're all just descriptions of Christ's life. Okay, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be a Christ follower, of, or, or or to be a Christian. Read an article about. I didn't actually read the article. I just saw the headline. <laughs> it was like, uh, "Is the word Christian a bad word?" Something along that line. Like, 
because now it's almost like an accusation or there's so many uh, pre, uh, uh, people think they, it means this or that to the point where you almost don't want to be called a Christian. It's not cool to be Christian or, or you have to overcome so many obstacles when you tell someone you're a Christian. What it, what it means is that you're a follower of Christ. Jesus said, follow me. He actually said, he never said, accept me as your personal Lord and Savior. He said, follow me. And then he, then he walked. Okay, And if you followed, you were accepting him as your Lord and Savior. And if you didn't, you were just still thinking about it. And a lot of people are, are calling themselves Christians, but they're really just thinking about it. Right? But if you're following Christ, it means you're walking the way he walks. You're living the way he lived. You're actually living Christ-like. And so this is a description of being Christ-like. He starts his ministry by describing himself. And he, he lives all this. I'm going to just quickly whip through some of these attributes. He was a mournful. You know, that's not one of the you know, things people aspire to in the world. But it is a part of life. And one of the main prophecies concerning the Messiah, who Jesus is, as in Isaiah 53, it says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he said, you know, it's blessed. You're happy, prosperous, full of life joy when you mourn. Right? Because you're going to be comforted. And there's a dynamic where because you live like him, you enter into a lifestyle that's Christ-like. You enter into a blessing. Right? Um, uh, and it, that word means, it refers to being bereaved of someone or something that you love, but it actually refers to, uh, it's a more general term, to those whose life in a worldly view is unhappy. And they suffer because of their loyalty to God. And their whole lifestyle. Now, we all have images of who Jesus was, but you have to understand he was homeless. He didn't have a house. He didn't have money. He was sold out. I mean, at 33... He was wrongly, wrongfully convicted and, and, and crucified on the most painful, torturous death. And that was it. You know, from a world, if you were a businessman, you'd go, he didn't amount to much. He didn't have a yacht. He amounted to a lot, didn't he? Because <laughs> right, he's king of the universe. His reward's in heaven. And, uh, and he's going to come back. He's going to inherit the whole earth because he's all of these things. Um, and so, uh, next one is meek. Christ was a meek uh, person who was meek. Those it's defined as those who do not throw their weight about, but rely on God to give them their due. And Jesus had power. He's, at one point, he said to the disciples, "Don't you know I could call down a legion of angels?" He didn't use power that he had to uh, promote himself or to to gain his will. He chose. Uh, to do it God's way. It's not being powerless. It's choosing to, to do it the better way. Now when he comes again, he will be, his power will be revealed. All right? Because he's coming in his return for a different purpose. Uh, but he, was, he demonstrated his meekness. Hungers and thirsts after righteousness. Jesus sought righteousness for others, but he also struggled uh, personally. We see this in the desert and the temptations. We see it really in the garden where he literally sweat blood and his struggle facing what he knew was going to be a horror. horror. And he, I'm not saying that he was uh, susceptible to sin, but I am saying that he's familiar with the struggle 
and the desire for righteousness and the thirst a hunger for being right and for seeing other people right, but also personally. He had to, it was at great cost that he maintained his righteousness. He's merciful. <clears throat> he touched the lepers. He fed the poor. Continually, you see Jesus moved by compassion. That was the motivating force in his life was that he was willing to uh, overlook his own pleasure, his own desires, to meet needs in others. He was merciful, and he calls us to live that way as well. Pure in heart. Pure in heart, this is from the commentary I'm using, pure in heart should not be restricted to a simply moral, still less sexual purity. It denotes one who loves God with his whole heart, with undivided loyalty. A big word there is undivided whose inward nature corresponds with his or her outward profession. So there's integrity. What you are on the inside is what you are on the outside. And Jesus demonstrated that in his life. And he was a peacemaker. His whole life was about restoring peace between men and God. We read in Romans 5, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he came and restored peace between mankind, human race, and Creator God. Also in that, He gives us the uh, opportunity and the grace to restore peace between you and the person sitting next to you. Between you and yourself. Everything about Jesus is about uh, bringing reconciliation. And and in fact, Paul says that we have this ministry of reconciliation and we are to minister to others. Reconciliation is making peace. And so Jesus' life demonstrated that uh, persecuted. Obviously, Jesus was persecuted to the point of death. And in John 15, he says <clears throat> to his disciples, uh, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. All right, that's one of the promises of Scripture we all cling to, right? In those dark days. <laughs> what are the promises? Well, this is one of the promises. And Jesus says, You're. you're you're blessed. You're happy. You're to be envied. You're full of life, joy, and all those other words that describe a life of blessed. When you're persecuted, when you're picked on because of your faith, wow. Erdman's uh, Bible commentary sh- or dictionary says persecution is the mark of prophetic succession. And a lot of people want to be prophetic. Want to want to live like the prophets? Wow. All the prophets. You really want to live like a prophet? Think about that. And so we want nice, safe prophecy. But, and it's good. And God, the Bible says desire prophecy, desire to prophesy, desire to be able to hear from God and, and speak God's word. But living prophetically, living like a prophet, living as a declaration of the kingdom of heaven on earth, okay, where you're a kingdom representative and you're prophetically representing God's kingdom on earth, uh, involves persecution. Uh, Jesus said, <clears throat> uh, this forces us to, uh, to really, it confronts the whole idea of worldly values versus kingdom values. And, and, and the area of persecution more than others, I think, makes us uh, understand that kingdom values is about eternal issues. And that the benefit of living this way is not just for the temporary good, but that it conditions our soul. All right? It conditions my soul. You have a soul. You have a spirit. And it's, it's conditioning your soul to live heavenly, even though you're temporarily maybe 
uh, um, uh, avoiding or uh, abstaining from worldly pleasure. So the whole deal is, uh, it's a call to discipleship, means a call to live like Christ. That's what discipleship is, living like Christ. And there are rewards in each one of them. Blessed those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You know, blessed each one has a a corresponding or a complementary reward. And it's important to understand that. Um, uh, There's just a couple things about this reward that I want want to highlight. Jesus says in Mark 10, 29, He answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there is none... There's no one who has left house or brothers. Think about these things as we read through this list. Think about your house. Think about if you have brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands, your property, everything you own. Let's add in cars, computers, cell phones, uh, Minecraft universes, etc., etc. For my sake and the Gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands, with persecution, and the age to come, eternal life. Now, I realize very few of us are called to leave any of these things. Have you actually lost a house because you were a Christian? There are people in our day that have, that have lost their lives. Or have you been shunned? I've met people who, because they became a Christian, I met this one man who's a Muslim, and he hadn't even become a Christian. He just started asking questions. He was a professor in Egypt, and they imprisoned him, tortured him, and a friend got him out, and he was walking down the street, and his father saw him, <clears throat> and his father pulled a pistol and started shooting at him. Okay? I met this guy, uh, and he ran. His sister helped him get out of the country. He ended up becoming a Christian, actually, later uh, in, uh, in the story. And so there are people that lose family because of the gospel's sake. So, you know, and it's always, you always kind of, you know, you look at those extreme examples and go, gosh, we really have it easy. And the point of that is, you know what, we really do have it easy. And we need to be thankful and grateful for that. You know, and, but, on the other hand, I also understand there, there is a different kind of persecution that we endure. And I think it's, it's subtle. And, uh, and we need to be on guard for it on, uh, and not compromise our faith because of the subtle. The enemy is, is very victorious in, in, in manipulating us through prosperity and, and comfort. All right? And so maybe you have to uh, endure a discomfort or... Um, lack of popularity or, or even people that get mad at you. But be willing to do that because Jesus' promises a, a blessing in this life. Now in this time, just want to get the point to, and in the age to come. So there's twofold uh, blessing. <clears throat> there is reward in this life. He's really challenging our definition of happiness. What it means to be happy and how to get it. If you read this, you, it, it's different than the worldly. It's different than it's natural. There's values. But it is happiness that's the goal. All right? And, and the term in heaven, and especially he says this in the, in, in, in the verse 12 where it talks about persecution, you'll receive it in heaven. You know, in heaven means not just after death, but with God. And that's a Bible scholar that wrote that. <laughs> the idea is not just after death, but in the heavenly realm. And so 
there is an element where we receive these heavenly blessings. In other words, if you live Christ-like in all these ways, you'll experience in your relationship with God uh, all, this, all of these benefits. It's a present tense word as well as a future fulfillment in your spiritual life, in your heavenly realm experience is to be expanded as you live. Because you're walking in God's favor. You're walking in, in, a, in a spiritual state. Now, there, there will be persecutions. There are prices to pay. But we know that God will bless it. That then the fulfillment of, uh, of the blessing actually comes in the resurrection. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15:19, and Christians, we need to remember this. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. So listen, if you don't get the fulfillment of what you're hoping for in this life, that doesn't mean God's let you down. Alright? Maybe that means you're actually living Christ-like. Push into it and realize, yes, there's an aspect where I find fulfillment here and you enjoy what God gives you to enjoy. But you know that, you know what, I'm, I'm storing up glory and favor in the resurrection. Right? Because if we're only looking for a reward here, you're going to be disappointed. And people get disappointed and they think they, they're, they're wrong and they think God's let them down, but really, no. Just persevere. Hang in there. Continue to live the way Christ calls us. Maintain a heavenly perspective enables us to understand the heavenly rewards. And again, that's conditioning our, ourselves to be heavenly, to take on the character of Christ. Well, let's just close in prayer, can we? Father, we thank You that You call us to live like You. And that You don't just call us to do it, but You empower us. And so I pray that You would empower each person here with the ability to live Christ-like and to follow in Your footsteps. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we have a special treat. We're going to change things up. Um, I met this great couple, Tim and Samantha Gordon. Come on up. And they are missionaries in China. I met them just a few months ago at our prayer retreat. And I, I just fell in love with them. I, I said... I like you so much, I'm going to bring you home. Uh, <laughs> so they're going to hand out a clipboard. And if you want, uh, there's one clip for each side. If you want to be on their mailing list to find out even more information, come on, let me give you a hug. So I like these kids. And they have a little baby. She's really cute, Karina. Uh, and um, uh, Tim's been in Japan, or Japan, sorry, <coughs> uh, China for 17 years, and Samantha for 12 years. And so just share your heart. Do you have the mic? Would you give them the mic? And uh, it's second service, so you can take some time. Whoa. Thank you. All right, so our baby. Oh, good morning, everyone. Does anybody here speak Mandarin?